Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil alemin. Nahmaduhu ve nesta'inuhu ve nestağfiruhu. Ve nu'minu bihi ve netevekkelu alihi. Ve na'udhu billahi min şurur yanfusina ve min seyyati amalina. Men yehdihillahu fela mudillelah. Ve men yudlil fela hadiyelah. Ve neşhedü en la ilahe illallahu vahdehu la şerike lehu. Ve neşhedü enne Muhammeden abduhu ve rasuluhu. Arsalallahu ta'ala bilhaqqi beşiran ve nadira. Da'yan ilallahi bi'iznihi ve sirajamun ila. Fama ba'du faqala ta'ala. Ya eyyuhallazina amanu attaqullaha haqqa tukatih. Ve la tamutunna illa ve antum muslimun. Ve kal. Ya eyyuhallazina amanu attaqullaha ve kulu qawlan sadidah. Yuslih lakum amalakum ve yakfir lakum dunubakum. Ve men yuti'illaha ve rasulahu faqad faza fawza nazimah. وقال نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى اله وصحبه وسلم اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار my dear respected elders brothers sisters we are on the 6th of the khutab relating to the leadership of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And in that context, we are on the third of the characteristics that distinguished his leadership. The first two were his complete and total faith, faith and certainty in his message as well as the role given to him to take the message to the world. And the second one was his steadfastness and consistency in doing that <clears throat> irrespective of the opposition or the difficulties that he faced. Today the third thing I want to talk about was his willingness to put himself on the line. At no point did he send others out to do things that he was not willing to do himself. The logical position of the standard bearer is in the front line ahead of everyone else where he is clearly visible so that others can rally to his standard. This naturally puts the leader in the line of fire, but the willingness to accept this responsibility is a sign of leadership and inspires respect, love and loyalty. There are innumerable stories from the seerah where Rasulullah was out ahead facing any potential danger even before others were aware of its presence. One of, the, one of my favorite stories is there was some commotion very early in the morning, almost in darkness in Medina, and people came out of their house. They said, what's happening? They said, somebody is attacking. It looks like an army is coming to Medina. And as they were milling around, they saw a horseman returning. And when they... When he came close, they found it was Rasulullah riding bareback on a horse and he said, I checked it out, there is no danger. That was his nature. That was how he, uh, he didn't send somebody else to, to check out. He went himself and there wasn't time even to saddle the horse, so he was riding bareback. On another occasion, his, 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 another beautiful example is his travel to Taif, which he went himself and Zaid bin Harisa at that time was... Uh, he considered himself to be, Nabi Sallam called him his son, Zaid bin Muhammad. And uh, so just the two of them, they went. 
At that time, people like Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and others were already Muslim. Rasulullah could have sent any of them and delegated them to go and speak to the people in Taif. He didn't do that. He went himself. And of course, we know the whole story, what happened and so on and so forth. On another occasion, in the Battle of Hunayn against the Hawazim, which is after the battle of, after, the, after Fatah Makkah, when the Muslims broke ranks and retreated in confusion, when they were suddenly ambushed, Abu Sufyan bin Harb said, only the sea will stop them, meaning they are, this is a complete rout, and only, they will stop only when they come to the Arabian Sea, which is where Jeddah is. Yet in that confusion and chaos, Rasulullah forged ahead towards the enemy. He was riding a white mule and he rode towards the enemy and he shouted, he said, I am Muhammad bin Abdul Muttalib. He took his grandfather's name. You are looking for me, here I am. Now the Sahaba grabbed the bridle of his, of his mule and they said, Ya Rasulullah, if they kill you, this is, the story ends. I mean, this is what they want to do. So don't expose yourself. He looked around, he saw Abdullah bin Masood and he told him, call the Ansar. And Abdullah bin Masood says that I called Ya Ansar and they came to him and they surrounded him. Those of you who like to watch uh, wildlife videos, look for any video of lions attacking buffalo, Cape buffalo in, in, in uh, Africa. And you see what they do. They are, the, Af- the Africans call it going into lager, which is they surround the one who is being attacked and they are all facing outwards. So the attacking lions are only seeing a boss, which is the head, which can stop a rifle bullet. It is so hard. And a pair of horns like razors. And that is what the Ansar did. And that is where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the ayat in Surah Tawbah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, He sent on them sakina, tranquility and peace. And He sent to help them junudul lam tarawha. Allah said, We sent armies that they could not see. Abdullah bin Masood says, He says, He saw a mass descend from the skies like. He said it was like a black mass, it hit the ground and he said it spread. He said we don't know what creatures they were, they looked like ants for something like that. They spread and disappeared. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said he sent malaika, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what his, what his forces are and what his angels are. But Allah, when, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned that, he meant these people and those people were about a hundred of them. And we know from the numbers that the Hawazim were 10,000. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned the battle, turned the, 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 the uh, flow of battle. And against the people of Banu Saqif, people of Taif and the Hawazim, that was the biggest victory that the Muslims had had until that time. And they got the largest amount of ghanimah. For a leader, physical and moral courage is a major requirement. As they say, people don't follow titles, they follow courage. One may not need to take one's own life in one's hands today, but the willingness to stand up for what one believes in or in support of one's followers at personal risk to oneself, these are amazing tools 
to build loyalty and to demonstrate your own commitment to the goal. These situations cannot be contrived. It is essential that the leader has the courage of his convictions as an inherent trait so that when the challenge presents itself, it comes to the fore naturally. Leadership is always from the front and that is sometimes a dangerous place. But it is good to remember that there is no such thing as a cowardly leader. As I mentioned before, people listen with their eyes. They don't care what you say until they see what you do. They watch what you do more than they listen to what you say. And if they see you doing something different from what you tell them, then they will believe and follow your actions, not your words. And in the process, your own credibility gets seriously compromised. Credibility falls through the gap between talk and walk. Rasulullah was always conscious of this and demonstrated the message by living it. And that is why when somebody asked our mother Sayyidah Aisha Siddiqa anha about the life of Rasulullah she said, don't you read the Quran? He said, yes. She said, he was the living Quran. I want to emphasize the importance of studying the seerah, which we seem to have totally neglected. The seerah, the biography, the, 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 the life story of Rasulullah is the living tafsir of the Quran. It is the methodology of implementing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ordered. If we don't want to look there for guidance of how to follow Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's commands, then where else do we want to look? But sadly, even in our religious schools, even in the madaris, seerah is not taught as an independent subject. I've never understood this. How in a madrasa, you do not teach the life of Rasulullah as an independent subject. Makes zero sense to me. People tell me when I ask them, they say, but they learn from the Asbab al Nuzul of the Quran or they learn from the Ahadith when they, te- when, when, when they learn. But my point is that the Seerah is not something you incidentally hear about. It is something that you need to study deeply as a subject. Now, recently, something called Fiqh Seerah has come out where people are now taking rulings from the Seerah. But this is a very nascent thing and till now, to the best of my knowledge, and I'm talking about, about most of the big name madrasas, they do not teach seerah as a specific subject. Completely logical. Now, we all know the story of uh, the journey to Taif, so I won't repeat it here, but let me recall for you the dua that he, sallallahu alayhi wa made in the garden that he took refuge in. And he said to his rab, the meaning of which he said, O oh Allah, I complain to you of my weakness and my scarcity of resources and the humiliation that I have been subjected to by the people. O, mer- o most merciful of those who have mercy, Ya Arhamur Rahimin. O Rabb of the weak, Ya Rabbul Mustadafin. And my Rabb, Ya Rabbi, to whom have you entrusted me? To a distant person who receives me with hostility? or to an enemy to whom you have granted authority over my affair, so long as you are not angry with me, I do not care. Your favor is expansive relief to me. I seek refuge in the light of your face, by which all darkness is dispelled. 
and every affair of this world and the next is set right. Lest your anger or your displeasure descends upon me, I desire your pleasure and satisfaction until you are pleased. Hatta tarda. There is no power and no might except by you. La hawla wa la quwwata illa billah. Now what stands out so clearly in this dua is how Rasulullah speaks of his own weakness and lack of influence. He does not curse those who rejected and insulted and tormented him. He does not call down upon their collective heads the wrath of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for refusing to accept his message. He faces his own weakness and asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give him strength. He says to Allah that, he is, that if Allah is pleased with him, he does not care about the opinion of the world. And if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not pleased, then he, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa will do everything in his power to continue to work until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased. I think this is the root message of the time and the, and, and the life of Rasulullah To please only one which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nobody else. أقول قولي هذا استغفر الله لي ولكم ولسائر المسلمين فاستغفروه إنه هو الغفور الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين إن الله وملائكته يسلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد My brothers and sisters I remind you and myself that being goal focused when you are being applauded for it is easy being goal-focused when you are being criticized for it and when you have no apparent support is very difficult. Especially when this criticism may take nasty forms of physical or psychological abuse. To continue to remain on your chosen path and to face your own failure to convince people, yet have no doubts about your eventual success is the test of the leader. In the dark of the night, when the darkness within the soul is more opaque than the darkness outside, when a man stands alone without any visible support, that is when he realizes that the real support for the mission has to come from within. And that comes with a connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu, where he feels completely comfortable with taking his troubles to the only one who can solve them. The apparent debacle at Taif did not intimidate Rasulullah nor did he despair. But he used it to renew his resolve and strengthen his spirit. His dua is a landmark for anyone who wishes to learn the right conduct for the one who wishes to lead. It is this commitment which continues undiminished irrespective of the opposition or difficulty that is the hallmark of the exceptional leader. On the contrary, difficulty seems only to make the commitment even more keen and strong. And that is the meaning of resilience. Resilience comes of two paradoxic, uh, to consists of two paradoxical or apparently paradoxical positions. Facing facts 
without about their failure facing the facts about your failure without any attempt at disguising reality and simultaneously having absolute faith in eventual success even when you cannot see any signs of that in your immediate presence it is during these times that we see the siege mentality that we are seeing today in muslim speech and writings and actions people who feel besieged react in two ways they either get intimidated and internalize the criticism and propaganda to the extent that they become apologetic and overly self critical or they go to the other extreme and become militantly defensive and defend everything that their members do no matter how indefensible that might be both are negative responses and driven by fear the one who is afraid cannot lead it is essential to conquer the fear and continue to stand for what you believe in opposition strengthens you but only when it is faced with confidence not when you run from it or get intimidated today we are facing disastrous and disruptive change it is critical to understand the best way to deal with these changes so that we can emerge with our bodies minds and spirits not only intact but stronger there are three keys to dealing with disastrous and disruptive change first one face the brutal facts without losing hope number 2 make sense of what is happening and number 3 create a road map out of the mess there's extensive research that's been done with the inmates of concentration camps and it shows that those who survive and eventually escape are people who face the brutal facts of their situation without any attempt at painting them in a rosy hue or indulging in hope bordering on fantasy they did not tell themselves that rescue was around the corner or uh, nor did they wait for some messiah to come to save them they did not imagine that their captors would suddenly see the error of their ways or would become inclined towards them in short the survivors did not fool themselves they said to them in so many words we are in serious trouble and our very existence may be in danger these are the reasons why we are here and these are the things that can happen to us including our elimination they did not spend time complaining or blaming their captors or wallowing in self pity instead they objectively took stock of their situation and had the courage to look it fully in the face to recognize it for what it was very grave and potentially lethal yet these people also did not lose hope in their eventual success and that is very important they had faith and took the help of their ideology and strongly believed that they would survive and eventually win they understood the forces arrayed against them and they charted a course of action to escape from their clutches this confidence is critical to resilience two apparently paradoxical attitudes looking at the brutal facts yet not losing hope in eventual success no matter how impossible it may seem at the moment that is the meaning of tawakkul on allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is the this was the key to the success of people imprisoned in some of the most brutal concentration camps in the world and history tells us that they did survive 
This is what Rasulullah and his sahaba did during the Makkan period, which was also as brutal as it can get. The rest is history. They survived, grew stronger, prospered, and eventually became leaders of the community, while their enemies are remembered only by association to learn what not to do. Today, as we learn to cope with a world that is in the grip of disruptive and potentially disastrous change, especially where the Muslim Ummah seems to be in the eye of the storm, we are very blessed that we have the perfect example of the life of Rasulullah to learn from. The beauty of his example is that he was guided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when we follow and emulate him, we are sure that we are on the right path. If we act with courage and resilience as he did, we will not only find a way out of our predicament, but will also earn the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inshallah. And that will be the reward. A reward that inshallah will get us Jannah in the Akhirah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to bless all of you. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect you from all harm. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to relieve the suffering and difficulties of anyone who might be in any difficulty. Rabbana zalamna anfusana wa illam taqfir lana wa tarhamna lana kunna min al-khasirin. Rabbana faqfir lana dhunubana wa kaffir lana sayyatina wa tawafana ma'ala burar. Rabbana atina fi dunya hasanatan wa fi al-akhirati hasanatan wa qina azaban nar. Ameen ya Rabbil Alameen. Ya ibadullah, rahimakumullah, inna allaha yamuru biladli wal ihsan. وَإِتَاءِ ذِي الْقُرْبَى وَيَنْهَى عَلِي الْفَحْشَاءِ وَالْمُنْكَرِ وَالْبَغِي يَعِزُكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَذَكَّرُونَ اُذْكُرُ اللَّهَ يَذْكُرْكُمْ عُضُوْ يَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ وَلَا ذِكْرُ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرْ وَاللَّهُ يَعْلَمُ مَا تَصْنَعُونَ أَقِمُ السَّلَمْ